0: Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson and I am the associate editor of baseballtradevalues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, so so I have moved. I am in the new place. It's it's nice and spacious and and far less opportunity for background noise, but the unfortunate part is I am still out here in Arizona. I am still out in the valley and oh boy uh we're into the bad part of the year (laughs) the uh the highs this week out here range from 108 to 113 uh this sucks why do people choose to live here
1: (laughs) i don't know josh (laughs) you tell me i don't know i'm fine in new jersey it was a pleasant day for youth baseball this morning and now it's raining but it's okay it's not 113 so i'm good
0: yeah i could i could use a little rain right now but uh <laughs> I guess we're just gonna have to i'm gonna have to deal with air conditioning instead there that's gonna go. have to be my <laughs> my ca- uh substitution mm-hmm. uh but how's it going? How are you enjoying the baseball season we're getting into i am enjoying the hot stove. Almost. yeah
1: we're you know but look can i just say how much i'm enjoying watching ellie de la cruz play just like everybody else i mean wow he's so entertaining i mean i thought acuna was entertaining guys in tatis but I mean, he's right up there uh, so anyway i i'm just loving watching him because i try to watch you know bits and pieces of every everybody's games and stuff but that's my favorite right now
0: it really is amazing it feels like for the last like five to seven years we've been talking about this youth movement as if it's just like a like a one time thing but it it just seems like it's this constant churn of next man up of the next 21 22 year old that's gonna burst onto the scene and just be hitting right out the gate or or be throwing 102 or whatever the case is and and he's the next guy in that it's
1: it's amazing
0: to to see all the tools that he has on display and see that he's executing them all right out the gate like like this isn't, and not to disparage O'Neill Cruz at all, because he's fantastic as well and, and very exciting, and has just as loud of tools, and obviously the injury isn't his fault or anything. But he showed some struggles here and there in his brief major league showing so far, and where he's flashed the tools, but maybe not put it together all that consistently yet. But Ellie is just, and I know it's, I know it's obviously a small sample here, but Ellie is just firing on all cylinders already.
1: Yeah, he's fun to watch. I mean, of course, you know he's gonna have his his rough patches here and there, and there's always regression and so on. But it's fun to watch. I'll leave it at that. But I think what you were gonna get at was, you know, yes, the hot stove season is slowly starting to. I won't say percolate yet because it's not quite percolating, you know. But the burners are on, you know. Um, it's it's the whole uh,
0: <laughs> it's the whole putting the frogs in the in the pot of water on the stove and, and you turn it up a degree each time. We're in the like we're in like hot tub territory maybe where you know we're not quite boiling yet or anything it's just starting to feel nice and comfortably warm and uh and then in the coming weeks uh soon these frogs are going to be dead
1: (laughs) yeah so i mean we're i'm starting to see you know a lot of like you know fan trade proposals on twitter which you know (laughs) most of them don't don't seem too good um and then we're starting to see, like, you know, we'll talk about some of these, some actual sort of media people making trade proposals. So it's that time of year, folks, and we'll have a run at them. It does
0: feel a little later in the year than we usually get this. I wonder if there's anything to that. I, I think, if anything, it might just be what we've been talking about for a few yeah, weeks, that the so. market's a little weaker. And yeah. there's not as much... I mean, I will get to it later in the episode, but perhaps the weak, the weaker market opens up the potential for people to just go nuts with trade proposals and say, um, hmm, "I can't do another Otani proposal. I can't. Hmm, th- these relievers aren't exciting. I got to pull someone out of left field." And I think we're we're seeing some of that happening <laughs> a yeah. little bit. Um, so so maybe that's what we have potential for here in the coming weeks of people just getting crazy with it, but. Yeah, I wonder, you know, after a point, all of the Otani proposals kind of boil down to the same thing of give us all your good young players and we'll give you two months of Otani. <laughs> and beyond that, it's like, okay, a, a B-level prospect for Giolito, that's that's not what people are going to be getting too excited about a month out from the trade deadline. So I wonder if that's contributing to kind of the, the slower burn here than usual.
1: It, it It is. And the other thing that I find... Can I just say on a personal note, um a little bit frustrating is sometimes the um sometimes some medium people will will use our site as kind of a reference point to to judge whether a trade seems fair or not. And in generally speaking, I applaud them, and I of course, and I think they're 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 pretty good about that. But then you get like fans who like there was one of I think um, uh, the, other, the other day I can't remember the site, but anyway, Yankees fans, um, the actual fans were not happy about most of them. They didn't think they were fair, and so some of their comments reflected that. And it seems like they're overvaluing their own prospects a little bit. And I don't mean to pick on Yankees fans because every fan does that. Every fan has biases, of course. And so, but I see a lot of that on Twitter now. Like, Oh, I'm not giving up that guy. I want that star, but I'm only going to give up this scrub for him, you know, and there's a lot of sort of prospect awarding. There's a lot of sort of, um, you know, perhaps not quite uh, as much of an understanding of how trades work as much as I would like to see. So still got some educating to do, I think. It's
0: the whole adage of it's probably a fair trade proposal if both sides are a little unhappy,
1: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: and we only... In most cases here when somebody with a following posts a trade proposal and, and references the site it's typically kind of one-sided right you know it's it's like you're referencing where it's it's a group of yankees fans discussing a bunch of yankees trade proposals or whichever other permutation maybe it's a tigers account that posts a few trade ideas using using the simulator and, and tra- tigers players and so their primary following is fans of that team so they're obviously even if they are fair proposals if you're if you're referencing back to that old adage that it's got to hurt both sides both sides have to be a little bit upset you're just going to see the tigers fans being really upset because it's it's the main following it's it's the main demographic interacting with that post so i don't know there's there's a lot of th- this isn't to suggest by any means that the values are the law of the land and perfect because they're not and we will readily admit that every time but I do think they're pretty damn good and pretty tried and tested and successful. And I think, I think it's there, there may be a movement toward smarter baseball fandom as a whole and being more understanding of things like this, but there's always going to be a strong contingent that just kind of has some, some, some bias, some Homerism in them that wants to overvalue their great young guys and oh that that guy that's good for that other team nah he's not the same as our guys our guys are different
1: yeah i think that's um i think that's one of it i think the other thing is uh, most fans no i'm not gonna say that Um, a lot of fans don't understand the concept of surplus value and so when i get questions like why is aaron judge worth only 3.7 i then have to explain on twitter that that's the difference between his contract and his market value his market value is 347 He's, he's owed 344 that's the difference if you have to trade for him you have to Pay him 344 million over the next eight and a half years well into his 30s most teams can't do that i don't have to explain all that to twitter right so but i just sort of like shrug my shoulders and say okay all right but you know to be fair i didn't get the concept of surplus value until i started diving into what makes it a trade fair and this was like 10 15 years ago so I I get it. Most pit fans don't understand that, but it leads to like, oh, this site doesn't know what it's doing because it thinks Judge is only worth three point seven, and they don't take the time to actually ask why that is. So I have to find myself constantly sort of backpedaling and explaining why that is. And even though we're right on all, all on so many trades, I st- we still get questions of like, why was that guy so low? So it's that season as well. We have to kind of you know do that sort of thing. I
0: blame the NBA a little bit for that. And I'm, I'm by no means like a dedicated NBA fan or anything. I don't know most of the players, if I'm being honest, and I I don't even begin to grasp the financials and and all of the rules that they have in place there with, you know, max contracts and all that stuff. I, I just have not even dipped my toes into that water, but especially this past week with the nba draft and everything you see all these crazy trades going through and crazy trade proposals in the nba and it's much more at least the sense that i get and again could be way off on this because i'm not a basketball guy but the sense that i get is it's fairly common for these big star for star trades where maybe their field value if, if you could do such a thing in basketball but maybe their field value is a little closer to each other and obviously there's the you know younger players and draft picks mixed in and all that that makes it work but it seems like the salary is a bit less of a consideration because it's just like oh this is a star he's going to be at the max uh, at the max uh salary anyway yeah. so it it's just kind of shuffling pieces around that are at the same salary impact in most yeah. cases not all cases and again I I don't fully understand the market over there but I wonder if fans that are fans of multiple sports and that see those kinds of trades happening in the NBA, just kind of get that mentality of, Oh, if I'm trading a guy like Aaron judge, I better be getting a guy like Shohei Otani back because they're both super duper stars. They're at that same caliber of play. And then they kind of just ignore the other factors that are, that make so much different in baseball.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good point. And I think there's a natural sort of mental sort of shortcut where you want to, in most people's minds, Oh, superstar, if you're giving up a superstar you better get a superstar back i often tell the story about when i first started uh you know talking to friends about the idea of starting this website you know i went out for drinks with a buddy and like how would you think like if you he was a mets fan and i said okay well if you traded Degrom, what would you expect to get back and he said aaron judge so you know and i thought that was sort of like illustrative of the point which is that most people have that sort of mental shortcut it should be fair from that standpoint a star for a star right so um so you know it's it's always going to be there but that's uh, understood so perhaps we should segue into a couple of points one is speaking of values um so you'll see some uh, most of the site uh, for the most of the major leaguers they've been updated kind of on a sort of an ongoing basis um with um you know last time we did that round was about at the 40 percent mark so you'll see point six is a lot which meant at that point, which was about a week or two ago, they had roughly sixty percent of the site of the season left. So you'll see on, in their years of control, it's generally a 0.6. There are some that we didn't quite get to enough, and so we prioritized a lot of the um most likely trade candidates and any sort of teams that might be sellers of their veterans. So you'll see a lot of that. Um one of the things that's a little bit different this season is because we're putting most of our time and energy into the launch of a new version of our website which we've talked about a little bit in the past and so when we launch that it's going to be a lot faster and the value is going to update much more frequently and so we don't have to do quite as much heavy lifting on the back end and so while we're building that version which should launch hopefully in the next say two weeks um, we're sort of you know also having to maintain the current site mostly by hand so that's what's taking time a little bit but most of the values were updated just so you know and we'll keep an eye on anybody else that we might have missed here and there but we think we've got it in a good place
0: yep we're working hard on multiple fronts this year and it's it's always a busy time of year and, and this time maybe even more so than more so than usual um, but we have exciting stuff on the horizon i know we've been teasing it for a few months now but it's it's getting here We're we're right around the corner i feel like
1: yep yeah so i know as as usual when you update a website it usually takes longer than you think well this is another case so we'd hope to launch it by now but uh, um it, it i don't think it's gonna go any later than say early july so we're almost there folks and then you'll see a whole bunch of new stuff
0: looking forward to it all right let's jump into the meat and potatoes of this episode um first we have a couple of trades to talk about a couple of which are actually somewhat noticeable notable it's, it's going to be you know the f- i think these trades this week mark the like beginning point of trade season um typically for the trade deadline season i'll i'll do like a big deadline recap and have a blurb on each of the moves and whether they were accepted by the model and things like that and add to it as the deadline goes on and i think these two moves this week are kind of the starting point of that you know we've gotten out of the Nickel and dime DFA trades only, or mm. the like late spring training swapping the fortieth guy on your roster around. Where there's still going to be plenty of that, but we've exited that territory of the season, and now we're fully into. All right, this is these are when the real trades start.
1: These are names you've heard of.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's not that, that minor league journeyman reliever who, like, had a zero value for cash considerations. There were a bunch of those. Uh, but no, these are the ones you've heard of.
0: Exactly. These these <laughs> trades matter. <laughs> um, And they're actually both with the Angels. So the Angels are, as they usually are, in a weird spot. And we're going to get more into that in a bit here. But they had a lot of issues on the infield pop up these last couple weeks. Obviously, Anthony Rendon has constantly been a concern for them of underperformance and inability to stay on the field. Um and he is once again hurt, so they need to cover for that. But also they unfortunately lost Gio Urshela for the season. I believe it was a was it a back injury or a knee. It was it was something that wasn't too pretty. I'm seeing if I can find this now um fractured pelvis neither of those uh but that doesn't sound good and he was playing fairly well for them you know he it was pretty singles heavy and he might not have been quite as valuable as the layman might have looked at his batting average and assumed he was but he was still a capable player for them and what we've been talking about for years and years and years is they put a lineup of capable players around trout and otani and they can make some noise And and he was a good step in the right direction on that. And now he's out for the year. And I'm seeing now that Zach Neto is also on the injured list with a strained oblique. And those can be nasty, and those can linger. So that's three starting caliber infielders for them gone in the span of a couple weeks. Actually, gone in the span of one week. These were all on the 14th and 15th that they got placed on the injured list. Uh, So so needless to say, they needed some help there. They needed some support. And They went ahead and kicked off the trade market Uh, the the first move and more significant of the two was they acquired infielder eduardo escobar who we had at negative 2 million in median trade value as well as cash Uh, the mets are reportedly paying him down to the minimum so that's somewhere in the range of five five and a half million uh, so brings the total on that side to three three and a half million in surplus And in exchange, the Angels gave up two young right-handed pitchers, uh, Coleman Crow at 0.5 million and Landon Marceau at 1.1 million. So on the Mets side of things, you know, they have a pretty deep lineup. And and right now they have Mark Vientos in AAA, or, or at least they did at the time of the trade. I don't know if they've called him up since, but he profiles somewhat similarly to Escobar and is more of a corner bat. And they wanted to get him some looks. They wanted to uh, make sure they have their best nine going out there every day. And Escobar was having a bit of a an off year. He's into the decline phase of his career, I think it's safer to say. He's into his mid-30s here and starting to take a bit of a step back. And I, I think the Mets just wanted a little bit more roster flexibility, maybe a little bit more upside in their lineup. So they move Escobar. They cover his whole contract because it's Cohen, and, and they're more than able to. In exchange, they get a couple interesting enough lottery ticket pitching prospects back. Uh, but the Angels take not even that big of a gamble on a guy who's a pretty solid bet to at least be a league average player. You know, if you're, again, we're just looking for the lineup of capable guys around Trout and Otani, Escobar is a pretty safe bet for something along those lines. And he's he's just a sense of stability for a team that's really been shuffling players like crazy the last few weeks to try and fill their holes. So um, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world for both sides. And I, I think it's a particularly good fit for the Angels. Um, Like I said, we're going to talk more about them and their uh, plans at large, but I I think it makes a lot of sense for them.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, if you don't wait until the deadline, sometimes you do make a trade that just like this, it makes sense. You're not winging it at the last minute. You're thinking about it. Like, what do we have a surplus of? What do we need? Um, So the Angels had a need and the Mets had a surplus. And so it it worked out very well. you know, it's illustrative of the fact that the Mets don't really care so much about the money. So they're like, OK, we'll eat the contract because his contract, uh, Escobar's contract was underwater. It's why you had negative two. And so in order to get any sort of prospect capital back, they had to eat some money. So they said, OK, fine, we'll just eat the remainder of it. And there is a buyout on 2024 of half a million. So the Angels are responsible for that much. But for the rest of the salary for this year the Mets are covering that all but the league minimum whatever that is prorated now. So, um so th- my point is the Mets can afford to eat the money in order to get a couple prospects back. They've been very adamant about not wanting to trade any of their top prospects because they really want to build a sustainable model. And so, you know, they, you know, to the extent that they can build up their farm a little bit more, a little bit more. That was the interest in the two pitching prospects for their point of view. Uh, One of them, Coleman Crowe people wondered, uh, oh, he's a little bit higher ranked, uh, but he's also injured. So that's reflective in the, in the, uh, in the values as well. Um, But, you know, neither of these two pitching prospects are that highly ranked. If you look at, some of them, the public prospect outlets, they're, you know, middle to bottom, yeah, middle, you know, 10s to 20s, somewhere in there. In other words, they're not expected to be superstars or anything at this point yet, but you never know. Um, so, you know, they could get lucky here on the Mets side. You know, I think uh, the Angels obviously have been investing a lot in pitching in their drafts recently. And so they may have had a surplus of young arms in the farm that are sort of like this, that are sort of middle ish so it doesn't really hurt them that much so i think from every point of view it makes sense yeah and it kind of goes it it's it, i don't want, we're not jumping off
0: the topic or anything so we're going to be talking angels for a bit here but i'm just going to loop in this other trade that they made um the acquired infielder mike mustakis and this was on saturday night after they just obliterated the rockies my goodness um <laughs> Mustakas said i'm not having any of that and just jumped over to the other side of the field uh so they picked up Mustakas. We had him at negative 0.7 in median trade value. In exchange, they gave up right-handed pitcher Connor Van Skoyak for 0. 0.1 in median trade value. So also accepted by the model. Um, it's it's just more depth. It's Moustakis has even less defensive versatility than Escobar might. I mean, may, maybe Mustakas can pretend to play second base like once or twice in the season. You can get away with it, but he's pretty strictly a corner guy at this point. And he's also had a battle league average season, and if he continues to do that, then that's exactly what the Angels need right now. So they're really just stockpiling on that depth, because looking at those three guys that I mentioned being out, uh, Rendon, Neto, and Archella Archella's out for the year. Neto, Obliques, those are nasty. They can be like three to six weeks, and that puts you past the trade deadline. And Rendon, risk contusion, but even when he's back, there's questions both about his performance and his future health and how long he's going to last on the roster. So there's, there's certainly a need here for multiple, multiple infielders to shore them up a little bit. Um, wow. Roster Resource has Brandon Drury at second base and Hunter Renfro at first base as their regular starters. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they are in yeah, yeah. a weird spot. But at this point, if if all the cost is going to be is these kind of middling pitching prospects, and as you say, as you said, uh, they're they're fairly deep in those because of those recent drafts where they've prioritized pitching so heavily. Um, if that's all it's going to cost them to add some potentially league average depth to a team that very desperately needs it right now, then it's it's a no brainer
1: yeah and so it gives a little flexibility too because is you know there's no defense ability but you can you can plug him in at first base which means you can move her and back to second brenda jury back to third where he's had a lot of experience in the past and then you can get escobar and you can move him either second or third he's had experience at both They just brought up David Fletcher to cover short. He hasn't been the same guy he was a couple of years ago. So there's still an issue there in terms of quality, but at least you've got some defensive versatility now and some mix-and-match possibilities. So um, I think it makes sense. The other thing I should point out with Moustakis is his contract that he had signed with the Reds a while back, um, when they DFA'd him and released him, the Reds ate that contract which meant that the Rockies signed him for league minimum, which meant that when they traded him the Angels, the Angels are paying him league minimum. So it doesn't cost the Angels. Neither Escobar nor Mustakis, even though their names, are costing them any more than the league minimum, which makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if it speaks to their approach. I mean, obviously Moustakas, he was never going to cost them more than the league minimum, but I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if they are going to be playing things kind of cheap this deadline. I wonder if... They are up against some financial limitations from Artie Moreno because of how they had the the Mets pay down Escobar's contract all the way. And I mean, granted, it's it's just a few million, and it's just one trade, and I don't want to read too much into it. But uh, this it's a little bit reminiscent of what we saw the A's do a couple years ago, where every guy exactly, they acquired, yeah. they had the Trade the selling team pay their contract all the way down, and and the Yankees did it that year too to stay under the luxury tax. Um, So, I wonder if we're going to see something similar from the Angels this deadline.
1: Yeah, well, they're as according to Roster Resource or friends over there, their estimated luxury tax payroll is 232, and I believe that's right around the barrier. I want to say 233. Uh, yeah. looks through tash- threshold is two thirty three. So they're literally like right under it, just just right under it, two thirty two eight. So you know there's no wiggle room unless you want to break through that. So that makes sense.
0: And I think it's the kind of thing where right now when they are in kind of a limbo spot right now. I mean they're they're playing fairly well. They're second in the division, forty two and thirty six, but they're still six back, and they are so battered and bruised that I bet they don't project as well as a team like the Astros down the stretch um and so when they are in kind of this uncertain position and we're still a month out from the deadline you're not going to go all out and make these moves that definitely push you over that threshold i think a month right. from now if they're two games back and decisively buyers and really in this mix then sure they can say screw it we'll we'll go over this year but this isn't the point at which you do it it's, it's something we've talked about before where like if you're gonna go over the luxury tax you do it with intent you're not going to oh, go yeah. over the luxury tax to add a four million dollar sixth inning reliever, like total right. middle of the bullpen kind of guy. That doesn't make sense. If you're going to go right. over, go over for an impact player, go over in a notable way. And I think that's what they're kind of, kind of sitting on their hands so they can have the option yeah. to do that or have the option to go the other direction and either stand pat or move off a couple of pieces um, so that they stay under that, that threshold.
1: Yeah, and you know, a smart team, and I think, you know, Perry Minoski and the GM is smart, would say, Okay, what are our odds? You know, right now uh fangraphs has their odds of making the playoffs at forty one percent. Okay, that's good, but it's not fifty fifty. So to your point, let's be cautious and add a little bit here, a little bit there, it doesn't cost us anything. But if they're getting to the point where that's over fifty percent and sixty percent, then you want to go for it. And then you're like, okay, we can break through the luxury tax. It might be worth it, given this is probably our last shot with Otani, and Trout's not getting any younger. So let's let's give it a shot. But we're not there yet.
0: Right. And honestly, I I don't remember if I've mentioned this on a previous episode or not, but it feels like the Angels are pretty well positioned for the current trade market, where Yes, there's there aren't as many superstars available on the trade market this deadline, but that's kind of the one thing the Angels don't necessarily need. Like obviously they wouldn't mind yeah. another another impact player. They wouldn't mind a Shane Bieber, but that's not a need for them. They just need more depth and right. you know I I feel a little bit for them because like like I said, this has been the knock on the Angels for years now that they can't put a bunch of average players around Trout and Otani, but this year they were pretty well positioned for that, and they just got kind of unlucky with how, how things have shaken out, how these injuries have hit them. They, they lost Logan O'Happy in what looked like a breakout year for him. Uh, they, they've just been banged up up and down the lineup, and it's unfortunate that now they're having to rely so much on this depth and, and trades like this. But it is, as we've said before, easier to make upgrades from replacement level to league average than it is to go from league average to star.
1: Yes. And
0: yeah. that's the spot that they're at that they have a few replacement level esque guys, you know, your Fletchers and, and I know Mickey Moniac had a big game last night, but I don't know mm. if I believe in him long term, mm. and I'm I'm still not sure what's going on with this Matt Dice thing. Um, I know. <laughs> but they have some very obvious spots that they can upgrade and not break the bank to do so. Like they can get rental hitters or one to two year hitters at these positions. And just give up some more of the depth on their farm rather than their tip-top prospects and really improve their team in a dramatic way.
1: Yes, but if they find themselves really wanting to go for it, they do have a prospect that's really improved his stock, and it's Edgar Cuero, the catcher. If you think about Logan O'Hoppy sort of as their future catcher, then they're going to have him for the next five or six years, then Cuero is potentially blocked. And right now, in our model, is worth twenty one point four million. So there's your trade ship, and the rest of the guys is a drop off after that to the Kai Bushes and Ben Joyces and Tom Bachman's. Here's in the four three two kind of area. So you kind of, you know, you're not gonna get a whole lot with that kind of trade capital, but you can get an impact or ish, or a couple of middle ish veterans for Cuero. So they've got they've got some options. What's what's your kind of sense? of of the
0: angels and of their potential to make a bigger move with a guy like that like obviously the the true answer is too soon to tell ask me in a month but if yeah. i if i made you <laughs> Okay Magic pal. <A-ball. laughs> if i made you take a stance now of how you feel how talented you feel this team is what you feel their chances are of actually being heavily in contention and whether they'll make an aggressive buying move or just some of these nickel and dime type moves Where would you lean today, June 25th?
1: Okay, so if I'm running the Angels, here's our strategy. You know, we're probably going to lose with Tony, so this is our last, last chance, basically, our last stand, right? And again, Mike Trout's not getting any older, and he's heating up, so you gotta, you gotta go for it, assuming that you know they're, they're in it. um, Now, to your point, they don't need another superstar, but they do need quality. Um, because they've had a little too a few too many holes, which is why they're making these little moves here for, for depth guys. Um, you know, they've got if you think about Otani in in a pitching sense, he's he's your ace. He's probably who you're starting game one. But after that, what do you got? You know, Sandoval's been uh good in the past, but he's not having his best year the last time I looked. And then you've got, you know, I Tyler Anderson and you know like I don't know is that your playoff rotation? So I think you need another starter. So now you're in the Lucas Giolito sweepstakes potentially. Um, We'll see who see if Bieber's dangled or not. But you can get Giolito. In fact, Cuero would be an overbid for that, and White Sox do need a young catcher. Last time I looked, um, so because Grandal was in his last year, so that would be a fair trade. So, so and Giolito would be an impact number two behind Otani. So that would be one way I would look at it. The other way I'd look at it is, you know, you could mix and match some pieces of the bullpen. There's some guys out there you can talk to the Royals about. Barlow and Chapman, because you've got – Carlos Estevez is having a nice year, but then there's a drop-off to the Defenskys and the Jacob Webbs and kind of some no-names in that bullpen. So, And some guys have been injured, like Joyce. So uh, I think you need to shore up the bullpen and the rotation. So it's all about the pitching yet again, I think, for the Angels.
0: What's, I, I guess now it's time to talk Otani. We yeah. have really shied away from it in recent episodes because – if we didn't shy away from it we'd just be saying the same thing over and over again <laughs> and and we have talked about him plenty um but it is such a unique situation of is he there, there's just so many more factors at play for a guy like otani than there are for most star rental players the first being that obviously he he just does so much more than any other player as as a two-way guy who pitches and hits there's he's suddenly not just an option for teams you know a Juan Soto doesn't make sense for a team that has three star outfielders but an Otani makes sense for literally any team you you can make Otani work and he'll help your team drastically on both sides of the ball so that element of it makes things much more interesting and then there's obviously all the off-field stuff of just the level of interest he brings to your team, the marketing dollars, the, the international support that he gets, um just the way he could he could revitalize a team, a fan base, things like that. And then there's obviously the extension considerations. I don't think Otani is signing an extension anywhere, you know, either with the Angels or after a trade. But, you know, if he goes somewhere he likes, then maybe there's just he gets gives them just that little bit of an edge when he hits free agency of like, well, These two teams have the same offer on the table but i really liked my last two months of the year with this team so maybe i'll give them the edge so you know there's that consideration if if you are acquiring him and plan on being a legitimate contender for him in the offseason so so there's so much to juggle here with otani and and what he means to baseball what he means to the angels it's so difficult to really put anything on it. It's really it's really difficult to pick a side on whether he gets traded, whether he doesn't. And come it was almost easier during the off season when we discussed this. It was like, yeah, if if they're in the race, then they'll keep him. If they're not in the race, then they'll probably sell him. Like that's easy enough to say. But then we get to this point where they're kind of just doing their usual Angels thing, where they're right around five hundred and kinda hovering in contention. And maybe they're a little bit better than their typical Angels season at this point at least. But they're kind of still in that gray area where it's it, they they could, they could kind of go either way, you know. They're one bad week away from being below 500, and then suddenly all the Otani trade rumors get turned up to 11. So I don't know if this season has I, I don't I don't know if I'm if I have a leaning on where where Otani goes and and what actually happens here, and you know I could. I could see they completely collapse out of it over the next week and a half, two weeks, whatever. End up at the deadline, ten, twelve games back, and and they'd really have to put on a hot stretch for a wild card game, just just to make a wild card run. I could see us getting there, and the Angels still hanging on to Otani just because of the optics of it and all of these other factors at play. So I don't know. I have, I don't think I've actually learned anything <laughs> this year when it comes to. The angels likelihood of moving otani i think i'm kind of right in the same spot i was in the, in the off season of just kind of shrugging my shoulders and saying i'm going to wait and let this play out I'm, I'm not going to make the mistake i made last year where i wrote a whole article about how juan soto couldn't be traded and then juan soto got traded um <laughs> i don't think i'm quite doing i'm not going to make that bold of a call this year on otani because there's just so much at play and we have a trade proposal we can we can get into on that uh that i know we'll have some thoughts on but what's what's your take on the otani of it all have you have you learned anything this season has, has your mind changed at all since we discussed this in the off season?
1: you know not really um i think it's still a binary decision if they're in it they keep him. if they're not in it they trade him i think that's I know I'm looking at it very coldly rationally, but I really think that's what it's about. And right now they're sort of a bubble team, but they're closer to being in it than not in it. So at this point, the default assumption is they're keeping it. So any trade proposals you see out there, and there's some wacky ones, you'd say, okay, Otani the Mets or whatever. That's I think it's foolish because they're keeping them until, you know, until they're, they are out of it. I think that's their mandate. Um, so we've got another monthish to play with here and see what it's like. Now, if they do fall out of it, and to your point about a week away from being under 500, um, you know the wild card is, is there's three teams that make the wild card, right? Which is why they have a 41% chance of making the playoffs right now. And we, as we saw with say the Phillies last week, you could be the sixth playoff team and still go far into the World Series, and that would give them a lift as a franchise, and that would give Trout some like, okay, <laughs> I made the World Series. And Otani may may feel good about that too. So, you know, that's all possible still, right? So you don't, you're not trading Otani until you know that's not possible. I really think that they're not gonna make that call until it's clearer, and it's not clear right now. But once it's clearer and they have a deadline, you know, they'll they'll make that call. Now, obviously you're gonna get a lot of calls about Otani leading up to that because everybody wants it. So your answer would be, Hang on, <laughs> give me your offer, fine, and if we get to that point, fine, we'll talk. You know, so give me a sense of what you want, you know, and then'll negotiate that way. And on our site, you know, as you can see, you know I've talked about this on Twitter a little bit. He's at right around fifty. That's probably going to go down a little bit because of the time factor. you're losing you know another month of patrol between now and then. Um, so let's say he's worth forty or so because he's a two-way player. That's still the highest level I think I've ever seen doing this for a rental. So you're still gonna give up a fair amount. It's not gonna be a SOTO return, as some are predicting, but it's gonna be some trade capital, right? So if they get to that point, you know, there's still a significant return, which means that you're gonna still field calls. It doesn't hurt to see what people are offering. So you have those offers in hand so that by the time you make that decision on July 30th or whatever, you say, okay, so-and-so's offering me this package and -and so-and-so's offering that package, and then you have something to work with in the next day or two before the deadline. So I think they're going to have to like set an internal deadline of July, end of July, say. You know, They're going to have to have offers in on the table by July 30th or so, so they have two days to think about it and work it back and forth. Um, but I don't think they're making an actual decision of will they or won't they until they have to. The part that I
0: just get hung up on is the Artie Moreno of it all, and I... I don't know how to read him and maybe angels fans have a better read on him. They're, they're obviously more experienced with doing so, but with his whole waffling this past off season and he's going to sell the team. And then all of a sudden he's not. And you know, that everyone in that angels front office has has had so many things to say about how they're not trading Otani. And we've talked before on this podcast about how we don't really, we kind of throw that out, you know. Everybody's not trading a guy until they're trading a guy. This is what happened with with Soto last year. Rizzo kept saying, "No, we're not trading him. He's staying here. We're going to try and lock him up." And then they they traded him. So, taking all of that with the the largest grain of salt possible. But it just goes to like how much do these guys care about their public image, about their legacy? And we've seen a clear example of that in Oakland where John Fisher does not seem to care at all. And you know, you can't you can't predict his decisions with moving the A's and with, and with some of these other things. You can't look at them through the lens of he's going to act like a rational person with shame and an image to uphold or anything. Because that clearly doesn't seem to be something he's prioritizing right now. Uh, but we don't know that about Moreno. We don't, I don't think we have a good sense of how much he cares about that and what he how much he cares about his baseball legacy does he care if he's the guy who traded Otani I mean if his legacy is already he's the guy who couldn't build a winner with Trout and Otani then maybe it doesn't matter that much if if trading Otani gets added to that ledger but I don't know I, I when you get into these types of discussions with players of this caliber you really do have to start thinking all the way to the top of if ownership will sign off on a deal where even if it makes baseball sense, if mm-hmm. if the entire organization wants to take that path from the very top, and that's just something we'll never have much insight into because even if these guys do go on the record and say things, we can only trust it so
1: much. Yeah, I mean, it gets into, I, and you can't read a person's mind. You don't know their psychology. That's ridiculous. You, you can't do that but you know but it's obvious by their actions sometimes what they care about so john fisher cares about uh making money it's it's clear that the a's are an investment property because sports franchises with no matter what you do them do with them because they're in a closed market they increase in value year after year after year so he bought it as an investment he doesn't care what they do on the field You know, that's clearly his – really, it's obvious from his actions. Whereas a Peter Seidler with the Padres is going way over budget because he wants to win. And, And sure, you know, the investment appreciation is nice, but he wants to win. John Middleton, the Phillies, another example. There's a few guys out there like that. So there's a spectrum, I think, of do you want to just make money on your franchise or do you want to win? What's the combination there? And it's hard to read Marina. I think he's primarily an investor, but I do think he loves the team. And, you know, he's, he's had kind of fits and starts about, should I sell, should I not sell? I'm not sure how to read that either. Um, but, you know, um, I think he does care at a certain point because he's also been a very meddling owner. He's vetoed a few trades in the past, as we know. So, which means he probably cares. He's sticking his, his, his fingers in it. So, um, I'm going to buy bi- – I'm slightly biased to size of yes, he probably does care. Um, so, and again, any Otani possible trade, yes, does have to go through him. Because he also basically says, okay, if you're gonna trade Otani, that's a cutout it's pretty much gonna cut the cord, which means you don't have a chance to re sign him at in, in, in the uh, you know, in the offseason. So that's a big decision, that's an ownership level decision. And I think I think you're right to bring that up.
0: And I think as far as the re signing aspect of it goes, it's I don't wanna say a moot point because it's obviously a factor. But it's like if if they're in a position to, to re- sign him, that means things are going well and they're making the playoffs and so they're not right or they're they're on track to make the playoffs, so they're not considering trading him anyway, right? Right. If they're if they collapse and lose their next twenty games and they're thinking about trading him, then he's not coming back anyway. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, he wants even, to even win. If you right. it. Right, yeah. And so right. so in
1: the off season all the cards are on his side, right? So it's his choice where he wants to go and how you know what offer he takes. And part of that is going to be influenced by he wants to win. And if they don't win, it's a moot point because he's like, "Okay, I've been here 6 years. We've never been to the playoffs. So I'm I'm not, I'm out of here." Right? So that's you know, so if you, and it's a good point. So if they decide at the cert, at the deadline, oh, we're out of it, then you know, they trade him, and he's gone because it's sort of he would be gone anyway, so that that does factor into it you're right, and
0: it feels kind of different than a lot of these situations where guys will kinda they'll they'll i don't know what I'm trying to say here <laughs> Otani but let me back up. Otani, in his interviews and everything, has always been such a professional, and you know he's such a positive guy, and he never seems to really have anything negative to say about anyone. But he was pretty blunt, I feel, this past offseason about his desire to win and about how he, he, he seems to be getting a little frustrated with with how his tenure with the Angels has gone. And that's not necessarily something we always see from players in this situation, from these stars that have been kind of stuck with a losing team and they're nearing free agency and starting to get asked about it usually we see them kind of dance around their words a little bit and say like, and talk about how much they've loved it, where they are. And, you know, th- that right now my focus is just on going out there and winning ball games And I'm not to say that Otani isn't focused on that. Clearly he's, he's one of the best players in baseball and continues to be performing at the highest level we've ever seen. But it's a bit of a, a starker contrast for him between his usual his usual words and and mannerisms and the way he handles things and has handled things throughout his angels career. And then how things almost feels like they took a turn this past off season. And he's been much more direct to the point of, I want to win. And it makes sense that something like that would be very important to him, especially, you know, there's nothing inherently special about the angels. A lot of these guys, you know, they might feel some sort of an attachment to their original team because that's the team that believed on them believed in them and drafted them but otani is a unicorn like everyone everyone in, in the league wanted him real bad when he came over from japan you know it, he doesn't owe the angels anything i i think a large part of his joining them was how much fun it would be to play with trout and that's gone you know, as far as individual performance for the two of them, about close to as well as it could have. They've they've each had their ups and downs, but when they're firing, they're the two best players in baseball hitting next to each other in the lineup. Um, But there's other factors at play here for Otani that might outweigh that. And, you know, there's other superstars you can play with who might even, God forbid I say this, I can't believe I am saying this, might have a better next six to 10 years of their career than Trout will now that Trout's on the wrong side of 30 and, and, struggling to stay on the field for a full
1: season. So, yeah. and you know, the other factor is if you remember six years ago or so, uh, when Otani was signing, he made the point that he didn't want to play for a big market team. I remember exactly what the words were, but basically he chose the angels because he didn't want to be in the spotlight in the Yankees or Dodgers kind of team spotlight. Cause I think he wanted to just kind of take his time, adjust to America, see how it goes without sort of that sort of spotlight pressure. Right. But that was six years ago, and he was a younger man. And now he's matured. Now he's a superstar. And now I think he can handle the limelight, which means his options are broader. I don't think he would shy away one bit from a Dodgers or Yankees contract at this point.
0: Absolutely. And and there might still be that consideration of a West Coast preference. It is closer to Japan. and, And again, that's another thing he was vocal about the first time around. So maybe that gives the Dodgers are Giants a slight slight edge but I think you're right that he's that first time was a unique situation where the dollars were limited no matter where he went because of when he came over he wasn't an unrestricted free agent he mm-hmm. was treated as an international amateur and had to fall under those guidelines um
1: he was making a league minimum so, for the first three years, which is right, absurd. Right. After signing,
0: <laughs> his signing bonus was like yeah. three or four million or something with the Angels. We had all these teams trading for more pool space so yeah. they could up their offer for him. And then he went to the Angels, who were nowhere near the top of that list of most that they could offer him. But it was clear that he cared a lot, like you're saying, about about the fit, about you know, not being the center of attention because there was already way way too much on his mind. Not only does the guy have to figure out how to hit major league pitching, he also has to figure out how to pitch to major league hitters and get them out. And he has to acclimate to America, which is a whole other consideration, acclimate to America, major league baseball, which operates differently than the NPB. So yeah, there was so much going on there that he wanted a spot he could be comfortable. But I think you're totally right that now that's he he is comfortable he's clearly if he's uncomfortable i'd hate to see all right <laughs> I, I guess i'd love to see what he can perform like when he is comfortable now nah, you can um, see it in
1: his body language he's, yeah he's, he's exactly
0: <laughs> yes and he's going to succeed wherever he goes he, he exudes confidence yeah. and i don't think i think you're right none of, none of those larger markets are a concern for him now at this stage it's just going to be where he thinks he has the best shot to win yeah. and, and there might be a slight preference for the West coast, but I don't think it's going to dominate like it did um, when, when he was first coming over. Yeah. That all being said, let's at least touch on this, this trade proposal. <laughs> um, it's a doozy. Uh, this is from Bo Porter, <laughs> former Bo- Astros manager um, on sorry. MLB network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so between this and what we're going to get to a little later in the episode, uh maybe I don't know, maybe maybe people leave baseball for a reason in a lot <laughs> of cases. Maybe if you're a former front office executive, manager, coach, whatever, maybe there's a reason you are a former baseball guy. Mm, um but yeah. but here's here's the Bo Porter trade proposal. Uh the Mets, speaking of these larger market teams, Uh, They would acquire Otani, as well as Anthony Rendon, Hunter Renfro, and Chris Devensky. In exchange, the Angels would acquire the Mets, uh, at least according to MLB.com, number one, four, five, and six prospects. So that's Kevin Parada, the catcher, Ronnie Mauricio, the shortstop, Blake Tidwell, and Dominic Hamill, both right handed pitchers. They'd also get third baseman Brett Beatty, who has graduated from being a prospect but was one of the best prospects in the game. Starling Marte, Tyler McGill and this proposal had them getting Escobar and I think that same day they ended up actually acquiring Escobar so All right. Porter got
1: Porter got one part of this, <laughs> right? Go. Good for
0: you, Bo. <laughs> um as far as the values on this one Woof. Um yeah, so yeah. so going to the Mets, uh otani as we mentioned 50.6 just insanely high for a rental. Devensky 4.8 g- good for him. He's been pretty solid out of the bullpen this year. Renfro, 4.3. Good for him. Decently solid hitter. And Rendon, negative 117.4.
1: Ah,
0: so there's your... We <laughs> almost had it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings the total the Mets are acquiring to negative 57.7. On the Angel side of things, and this is obviously excluding Escobar since he's already on the Angels, uh, but it's Beatty at 51.2, Mauricio at 25.7, Parada at 25.4, tidwell at 5.1 mcgill at 4.5 Hamill at 2.2 and Marte at negative 14.5 so the total going to the angels would be 97.4
1: so how much are we off
0: uh, we are off (laughs) if you make me do some quick (laughs) math here the
1: price is right
0: (laughs) is that 150 almost exactly yeah oh boy yeah so um
1: so okay so i think you know, as, as a lot of people tend to do, they tend to look at fit as opposed to value. And, but I do think he was looking at salary, like, Oh, if the Mets are picking up Rendon's salary, better throw off Marte's salary. So it's even like, it's not even, but okay. (laughs) So I think he was trying. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. I, I think
0: it's, is there any real incentive? Like, we, we had this discussion already. We we already did this. We did this with Soto last year. We we talked about why on earth the Nationals, because people kept proposing it. We talked about why on earth would the Nationals drag down this the value that they have present in this generational talent by sticking Steven Strasburg's contract on it. Yeah. Or even Patrick Corbin, I, I I was receptive to the idea of Corbin, but Strasburg is pro. I think he's right up there. And I'm sure he's he's lower than Rendon now, given that his career has somehow taken an even further dip south with the injury news that have come out about Strasburg. But they're in the same boat where it's these guys who are just overwhelmingly underwater in they're two of the worst contracts in baseball two of the most underwater players in baseball why why would you tank your first of all at least from a theoretical starting point why would the angels even consider tanking their otani return by getting rendon on it you know if you're trading otani you're not going to be winning baseball games the next few years anyways so what's rendon's contract actually do for you so that's that's number one and number two I don't know it's it's this idea that we're into now with Cohen and Peter Seidler, where people a lot of people just assume that since they've gone this far that there just is no bottom you know there's there's no the the budget is limitless there's no actual restrictions on them from a financial standpoint, and they'll just spend whatever it takes to win um that might be you know. Theoretically true and true compared to the other 28 teams that they are going to spend just more than anyone else and have fewer restrictions than anyone else, but it's not realistically true. These guys aren't just going to drop their entire net worth into one season's payroll of of their baseball team and, and hope it works out. And especially seeing that to this point it hasn't worked out for either of those teams in 2023, they've both been pretty disappointing. So the idea that just to get just for the rights to two months of Otani and yeah, we'll throw in two months of Renfro and Devensky they're going to really saddle themselves down by taking Rendon as well as giving up their entire farm, which as you were mentioned, they have been very hesitant to do they yeah. they They've been clinging tight to those top prospects. Uh, I don't, I just don't see where this comes from. Like, well, it's, it's- It's a fundamental misunderstanding, not only of how salary impacts a player's value and and how much that can hamper a team, but also just the ceiling that a player who is just a rental can be worth. And I'm I'm sure if you asked Bo Porter about this, and and I'm sure they did a segment on it, but I'm sure he'd say that part of the idea here is that the Mets could try to extend Otani, but... People give that way too much credence mm-hmm. in trade proposals like this because if you're extending a guy this close to, and you've said this so many times on the podcast, mm-hmm. John, so I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stealing your thunder a bit here, but if you're going to extend a guy this close to free agency, you're not getting a discount on no, him. You're, you're not. You're getting him for market rate. And what that means is zero surplus. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yes, it's it's a benefit to have that field value added to your team, but it's not it's not going to make up the $150 million gap no. in value between the two sides in this proposal. Um, just the fact that you could get Otani at a market rate for the next decade or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember any sort of similar sort of bad proposals when we network. I guess a few years ago when Ar- Arenado was in the rumor mill, um, they were like, oh, back up the truck. And these were ex players talking And back of the truck, he's going to cost a fortune in prospects. And, of course, he didn't. Um, And we were right about that. We had his value at minus 45, and the Rockies had to kick in 50 million just to get something back. So, you know, we were right. They had no idea what they were talking about, basically, because these guys were not sort of number-crunching valuation experts. And that's what it boils down to. Bo Porter is a not – I'm sorry, Bo, but I'm sure he knows baseball, but he does not know valuation, and that's the problem here. So – now just to fix this even if you did want to match up the value first of all you'd have to take out Rendon because there's a big problem and then get kind of closer but you still have those weird sort of strategic mis- misfits going on there back and forth so i you know from every point of view this thing is just not happening
0: yeah i'm even sympathetic to if 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 porter had come by with this proposal without Rendon obviously as you just said there's a big gap there in the value still it's about 40 million and there's a gap in ideals here where i i think you can make an argument that as tightly as the mets have gripped their prospects otani might be the one guy that they would be able to move a couple of them for and i think you could also make an argument and it's not one i would agree with but i could hear an argument that maybe Maybe we are underestimating in some way all of the off field benefits that come with Otani, even with just having him for two months, and so maybe our fifty point six could be low i don't think so i think I think if anything the fifty point six is is like you said it's it's historically high for a rental player it's insane, but I could at least hear somebody out if they were trying to make that argument I wouldn't agree with it, but I would recognize it as an argument as a valid argument one can make but that's yeah. taking rendon out of the deal and you'd still have to make some other significant adjustments to get it within reasonable territory after taking out the the largest part of the deal from a from like an absolute value perspective
1: yeah. and i still think the the shadow of the world chapman trade still ways in the back of people's minds like oh my god that's what they gave up for a two-month rental reliever i think there's still a little bit of that because like oh the cubs had to go for it they had to win that world series and they did and so their point is it doesn't matter what you pay what matters is that you win the world series with that guy so there's people who still think like that even though times have changed since then and everyone
0: conveniently forgets chapman being kind of bad in the world series for them um not, not, <laughs> not that that's that super it's relevant yeah, because, right. yeah, they had no idea at the time. It's it's all about the intent of their trade. But you're right that a lot of people just connect the two and say, if you're a team that's in a position where there's a lot of pressure to win the World Series, you should just pay whatever the price is because that guy you get will help you win the World Series because that's what the Cubs did. But that's not how it goes. There, there's so many flaws in that logic between, you know, overpaying for a guy just because you, you're feeling some pressure. And then getting to the point of, well, it worked for the Cubs, they won the World Series, so if you do it, it'll work for you too. And that's also not the case. It's If this trade could guarantee the Mets a World Series win, I think they'd do it, right? Even, even with Rendon, even with the $150 million gap. If it guaranteed that they would win the World Series this year, they'd do it. It obviously doesn't guarantee that. It comes nowhere near guaranteeing that. There's so much else that needs to happen just to get them to the playoffs, let alone actually that far and winning the World Series, that that's where all the risk comes in. And that's where you need to start to balance the short-term and the long-term. And you can't just be giving up all of your best young players who you figure are part of the cost-controlled core of your next great team, or, or future iterations of this great team. You can't be giving them all up for one shot at October.
1: Yeah, most people don't do that anymore. So, um, you know, look crazier things. I mean, the the last one I think that I think was a little bit out of whack was Kimbrell to the White Sox a couple of years ago, but it wasn't that much out of whack, especially in retrospect. So, I I I just think times have changed since then. Um, so, yeah. In other words, yes, I can see an overpay for Otani if he were on the market. Of course, there would be multiple bids, Um but you know, everybody has their price tag, right? It's like, you know, name your, you know, there's, there's limits. It's like an auction, right? So people drop out, so it's not going to be that crazy.
0: Right. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you there. Um, do you have anything else you want to add on the angels before we move on to our, our next on. topic? Okay. Yeah. Well, we are returning to the well here. We are going back to a favorite of ours on this podcast, um, we once spent some time putting together a whole article a whole whole analysis of this uh it's jim bowden season oh it's boy. it's time to evaluate some questionable Jim Bowden trade proposals for the athletic as usual. This will be linked in the show notes um but let's let's jump into it. I think we have some we 'll have some interesting thoughts on this and they'll be pretty similar to a lot of what we were just saying about that past trade proposal and, and the Otani and everything. Um, but but let's let's get started here. So this is an article uh, basically Bowden suggesting that the Mets and Cardinals should be sellers or at least should consider it. And he has five trade proposals for their star talents on both teams. And that, that word star, we're going to use it a little bit broadly here. <laughs> um, at least one of these trades, I wouldn't necessarily call him a star, but five impact trades let's put it that way um starting out the mets trade justin verlander to the dodgers uh the proposed return that bowden has is quote in return the mets could ask for 22 year old minor league outfielder andy pajas and perhaps one of the dodgers pitching prospects who struggled in their first major league opportunity such as gavin stone who's back in the minors or michael grove who was recalled wednesday uh all the sirens are already going off in my head john um yeah (laughs) the first one being that verlander has really struggled this season he's owed a lot of money and he's really old yeah Yeah. the the owed a lot of money and really old things are things we knew about coming into the season and things that wouldn't have shied the dodgers away coming into the season or at this point of the season if verlander has been pitching like verlander but he hasn't been and that's something that is a valid concern when you're this old you know it's one thing if 28-year-old Justin Verlander has a bad three months to start the year, it's another thing if 47-year-old Verlander has it, or however old he is, he is now. Um, so we have his value at negative 29. And there's no mention, and this is going to be a constant theme throughout this article, uh, no mention of any cash being eaten by by the Mets uh, in this deal. So just Verlander to flat 29. The first piece that Bowden suggests, Andy Pajes, we have him at 19.2. Um, Pajes, it feels like he's been around as a prospect for a while, and I think he had season-ending shoulder surgery, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. Um, he was in the midst of a good season, and he was probably going to make the big leagues this year, which just kind of indicates that he's, he'll be big league ready pretty much right away once he's back from that. He'll He'll have to rehab, but it'll be a pretty quick turn um but he's he's the the first piece on this deal at 19.2 so we're already off by 50 million (laughs) there you go uh and then you can add a second piece and the funniest part of this is that he views bowden appears to view these two second pieces as equal (laughs) gavin stone and michael grove he said oh you can add one of these guys uh stone's at 22.2 grove is at 1.7 there's a there's a bit of a gap there (laughs) I, i i think um so you know on the on the high end of this deal it's uh let me do some quick math. It's 41.4 going to the Mets and -29 going to the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. That's if it's Pajes and Stone. If it's yeah. Pajes and Grove, it gets a little bit closer. It's 20.9 headed to the Mets, -29 to the Dodgers. Either way, yeesh. That's eh, 50 million. <laughs> Not <laughs> Not his worst, I'll give him that, not Bowden's worst, either, you know historically, or I'm just quickly breezing through the tabs I have pulled up. um I it might be his worst of his proposals this time around,
1: yeah, well, you know, but
0: not 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 the worst we've seen from him.
1: Perhaps I might offer what uh, a quick take on what Bowden might have been thinking. He might have been thinking about the Scherzer deal a couple of years ago, like, oh, the Dodgers went for a big name pitcher for the playoff run yes they did but scherzer had surplus value then and also that return <clears throat> was was big because it included trey turner who had the who was underpaid and in control for a, a year and a half and that was the majority of the return scherzer was paid very well but he had a little bit of surplus, like 12 and turner had like 60 ish million in surplus and the trade ended up being in the 70s so it was fair so you know He's probably thinking, oh, well, they traded for Scherzer a couple of years ago. Surely they'll want Verlander because he's kind of the same guy. And uh, it doesn't work that way, Jim.
0: I wonder if he's also thinking of the Justin Verlander trade to the Astros, mm. where Verlander was struggling that year as well. He wasn't quite himself, yeah. and he had been in a stretch of not quite being himself. And he did get traded for some guys who were nominally top prospects. You know, I don't I don't want to do any revisionist history here because none of that trade really worked out uh, for none of that trade return really worked out for the Tigers. And it's I don't want to be a revisionist history and be like, yeah, those prospects all sucked. But they were all like back end of the top 100 at best type guys, whereas Pajes and Stone have pretty comfortably been in, you know, the middle of top top 100 lists they're If I'm not mistaken, they're in that like 50 to 70 ish range, at least at least pre-injury for Pajes um
1: yeah well the other thing so is th-
0: that's a big difference and then the money's a big difference where he was yeah. owed a lot less money at the time of yeah the Astros and he, only, trade and than he only had a
1: month of control because that was an august yeah. 31st deadline back when they had that second deadline and he was going to be a free agent that year so you only had him for like september and whatever he got from him in the playoffs so there wasn't going to be a large return as a result so um yeah either way it doesn't make any sense
0: right and just the premise of this of and we'll get more into this with the other trade proposals but the premise of the mets already giving up on verlander and there's spoiler there's going to be a trade down here for scherzer as well um but the premise of them giving up on these two guys after three inconsistent months from the two of them and from the rest of the team just seems wild to me like they obviously a big portion of both players field value was apportioned for 2023 that was kind of the plan as far as how they're how they're paying them and you know they're not naive they're not expecting them to remain elite performers well into their mid 40s or anything but i also don't think they expected them to just be zeros for them in 2024 and i still think they don't even with a rockier start to 2023 i think they expect them to be solid contributors The rest of the season at next and if you've already committed this much money to the team and you've pushed in so many chips on this team then why are you already bailing on those two guys after just a few months of not even terrible performance just a little bit inconsistent and verlander started the year injured and maybe he's not fully comfortable and back from that and there's i don't know i i disagree with the premise in the first place of the Mets trading these guys, given the money that they've committed to them and kind of the assumptions that came with that commitment. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's a fair point. Um, and it's too early for them to be throwing in the towel on that investment, in other words, uh, which I agree with. If a year from now they're, they regress even further down the down the road, which they might because they're old, um, then I think they might say, okay, <laughs> bad investment, move on, cut the, cut the loss. But they're not there yet.
0: And they're contracts that were never likely to have much surplus anyway.
1: Oh, gosh. So no, they overpaid for both guys, clearly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when you say, you know, maybe a month from now and they've regressed even further, obviously that means their their values will continue to dip as well because they're providing less on the field. And, and yeah, some of that money is eaten up between now and then. So there's there's the push and the pull to it. But... They are less; they would be less attractive from an acquisition standpoint a year from now if they continued to struggle versus how they are now. Yeah. Um, but, obviously. Yeah. But, I, I that... know,
1: but a some cost is a some cost. Exactly. I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the next one. These, <laughs> uh, the Cardinals, trade Paul Goldschmidt to the Phillies, and the proposal here, uh, Bowden says that the Cardinals would start by asking for Painter. Andrew Painter, but the Phillies would reject that offer, and I think that's correct. Uh, However, the Phillies might be willing to dangle Mick Abel, their second best pitching prospect, or Griff McGarry, their third best pitching prospect, along with a couple of mid-level type prospects. Uh, Goldschmidt's 35, and he has a year and a half of team control remaining. So looking at the deal here, obviously I don't have much to go off of if he just says, and a couple of other mid-level prospects, Uh, but for as far as like the centerpiece of this goes, Goldschmidt, is at 20.8 in median trade value. And McGarry at 14.4 could actually make some sense. If you're doing gold Goldschmidt for McGarry and a couple other mid-level guys, yeah, you could get that in the ballpark. And I, I think that from a value perspective che- checks out. We could discuss further whether we think it mm-hmm. checks out for the Cardinals on a fit perspective. Um, but the other end of this, Mick Abel at 32.7. That one's not going to fly, especially adding more pieces to that. Uh, I I think there's a reason, you know, that Abel is the second prospect in the system and McGarry is the third. It's that Abel is more highly valued and uh, by a pretty significant amount here.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay, well, the problem here is we don't, he's equating the two or at least, you know, floating the two as close to being equal, which is not the case, as you just pointed out. Um. You know, so it's not the worst trade proposal I've ever seen in the world. Conceptually, I think it's fine because, um, yeah, the Phillies could use a first baseman. So it's like, duh, makes sense. And the Phillies could use Young Pitcher. So on paper, you could sort of see the conce- the conceptual part of it is fine. I just think he just needs to lock down which which specifics he's talking about.
0: Yeah, and it's not quite as short-sighted as some of his proposals have been where, you know, oh, i've seen proposals from him where it's like oh this guy's injured and they need a replacement for him so let's get this superstar but then the guys who's injured is going to be back the next season and it's like you didn't think this all the way through but obviously in this case it's it's a little different hoskins is out for the full season and he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year and i'm not sure he's a guy that they look too heavily into locking up and into bringing back just because you know it seems like more of a guy who is nice to have around but isn't necessarily a part of their core and i also don't know if they should be committing significant money to another guy who should probably be a dh i think they have enough of those on the roster um but yeah i think i think from the philly side of it it makes sense they have a bit of a pitching surplus if if they're you know hanging on to painter and able and you can only you can only count on pitching prospects so much and they have had some uncertainty at the big league level with their their major league pitchers but they have enough of a surplus there that if they're going to trade that makes sense to be the spot they trade from and Goldschmidt would be a huge get for them it would be a very nice player to add to the lineup. Uh, Cardinals side of it I'm not sure I'm seeing quite as much I think even if the Cardinals do sell this year or consider selling or shuffle some pieces around whatever I don't think they're heading into a rebuild here I think It'll be kind of a retool and try again for twenty twenty four. And given how productive Goldschmidt has still been this year, I think he's a part of that plan. I don't think they're I don't think they're lining up to get rid of Goldschmidt anytime soon, even for a pretty solid pitching prospect that is a position of need for them.
1: Yeah, I strategically I think you're right. Um because Onouth and, and Mosalek said that this week. They're basically saying, Okay, this is probably not our year we're not We're not going to rebuild, so to speak. We're going to retool, which means I think they're open to trading Flaherty and, and guys who are sort of on on obvious expiring contracts or on rentals, their rentals. But since Goldschmidt is not a rental, um, I don't think he would fit that category. So I don't think they're shopping Goldschmidt. If they get an overpay offer, yeah, they might listen, but that would mean they're kind of cutting out one of their core pieces for next year, which they don't want to do. Uh, they have a surplus of you know, infielder, outfielder types that I think they'd be more likely to move um, because just that's where the surplus is. Whereas I think the core pieces that are sort of, you know, I think Goldschmidt, yeah, he's not, his contract is not as long as Arenado is, and Arenado is a little bit in decline. Goldschmidt is still producing very high, and very high levels, So I think they'd be reluctant to do so. Um, yeah, they could replace him, but I don't think they want to.
0: And I guess the argument could be that Nolan Gorman could slide over to first base and be a bit more of a natural fit for him. Uh, I know he's been he's been DHing a lot, uh, so it's not like there's necessarily they're not playing him out of position as much as they had been. But he's at least a logical replacement at first base, and they have some fairly interesting younger players and prospects that haven't really gotten a full chance um, a full chance to to hit major league pitching and see how they turn out. I'm thinking like Alec Burleson or uh, maybe Juan Yapez makes his way back up. And, and so those guys could kind of cycle through the DH spot, give them a shot. So it, it's not it's not like there aren't options to replace Goldschmidt that are already in place. And it could, if you really squint and, and get lucky, that could replicate his production. Uh, but I just don't think that doesn't feel like a Cardinals move at all. Like, like, not even a little bit. It feels like they are pretty locked in with Arnauto and Goldie at the corners, and why not? I don't blame them. That's a really strong corner infield this year and probably for the next few years. And building their team around it, even if it means they play a couple guys out of position or or they have to have a guy like Gorman or Jordan Walker at DH uh, for a handful of days a week, like, whatever. I, I think they're fine with making it work if it means that they have these two probable Hall of Famers on the infield corners um, producing at a high level for them. So yeah, I just don't think philosophically it fits the Cardinals way, if you want to call it that, or just from from a strategic standpoint, you know, for any baseball team, I don't, I don't know. I don't like it for them very much. They need pitching, but I think there's other ways for them to get it that make more sense. Agreed. Okay, moving on to that aforementioned Max Scherzer trade. Uh, Mets trade Max Scherzer to the Reds. And the proposal here is to start, the Reds could offer Christian Encarnacion Strand, a big power bat at AAA, who could become the Mets long-term answer at DH. Uh, I already have some thoughts on that, but let's get through the rest of the proposal. The Mets wouldn't be able to get right-handers Chase Petty or Connor Phillips, but they might be able to land righty Lion Richardson. And then he talks a little bit about how dealing one or both of Verlander or Scherzer would be unpopular, but the Mets would instantly get younger and it would create more payroll flexibility. Maybe owner Steve Cohen's spending has no limits, but the salary savings, even with the Mets eating some salary and potential deals, would allow GM Billy Epler to reallocate and maybe make a better offer for Shohei Otani. Um, So that's his one and only mention in this entire article of any of these teams potentially eating salary to facilitate a deal. Which, I mean, at least he said it. <laughs> at <laughs> yeah. least he covered himself. At least you know if he he, if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, you can. But I don't know that he's earned that. And I think it it this is even though he said that, I think it's another case of him not understanding how much the money really does impact a deal like this. Because yeah. Looking at looking at this proposal, Scherzer at negative seven point three. Encarnacion Strand at positive 14.9, Richardson at 5.1. So $20 million going to the Mets versus negative 7.3 going to the Reds. Um, a whole lot of reasons this doesn't work, but I'll, I'll let you say your piece.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the Reds are obviously not a big spending team, and they've had to cut costs with trade in, trade in the past. Having said that, a few years ago, they did spend some money. They spent some money on Castellanos and Moustakas and those guys. So, like, it's not beyond the pale that they would spend some money especially if they think they've got a winning team having said that i think scherzer feels weird as a fit like it's not like i know they could use some pitching help but that seems like an overreach or just i think they would want you know a guy that fits in with their sort of younger-ish players and i don't mean this to sound like scherzer's that old of a man because he's not but like it's just it's it's it feels like a weird fit um like like you know, it's, it costs way too much money. He's in decline, and the Reds are on an upswing. So I think they want a guy who at least is sort of like they know, you know, they can count on from from that point of view. Um, yes, of course, Scherzer is a is a grizzled veteran, and yes, you can give him the ball in a in a playoff, but he's not the same guy as he was, and he's getting injured a lot. And I just think there's too many negatives there that, from a performance standpoint, would kind of scare off. The Reds who are all about like let's go young, let's go young. So I think he doesn't fit from that standpoint, in addition to the money.
0: Yeah, I agree. It I, I could I'm happy with the Reds. I'm thrilled to see them playing so well and how exciting they are and and like you said, the youth movement. Um, I could see them getting aggressive and going for a Giolito. Yeah. Maybe not a, a Shane Bieber just because I don't think they're surplus in the, they have a surplus of infielders, if anything. And I don't think that lines up with the Guardian's needs in a Shane Bieber trade. So maybe I don't see that one lining up quite as well. But a Giolito or someone along those lines, I could see making sense. Maybe if if you,
1: yeah,
0: I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, but a, a guy like Giolito who might come with an extra year of control would make a lot of sense for them. Yeah. And it would kind of just be a, a mirror image the other direction of the Luis Castillo trade where they grabbed a guy with control and then maybe they could even extend him. Yeah. Uh, so I could see that from their perspective. But yeah, Scherzer... <laughs> doesn't doesn't fit there <laughs> I, I don't see it
1: yeah i mean giolito makes a lot of sense i know he's a rental um but hey you know uh it doesn't cost all that much um and you know you look at the you know if you go kind of down a bit into our farm you could see you know we have giolito right around 15 right now so you made the deal today you could give up like a carlos jorge is at 7.8 or a ricardo cabrera is at 6.2 there's you know uh 14 right there so you're pretty much there so and and you know it's probably not going to make much of a evident. both those guys are a second baseman or you can mix it up a little bit with a with the lion richardson guy you know there's a couple of ways you could go with that sort of mid-tier between five and eight um to kind of package a deal together that i think would be relatively painless for the met for the reds and you know look the white socks have a terrible farm so they need volume as well They need quantity as well as quality so i don't think it would be that uh, it's not like they're de- demanding a a, a blue-chip prospect for Giolito. I think they would take a practice like that.
0: Right. And then from the other side of this, you know, if you're the Mets and the Reds are offering you these two guys for Scherzer straight up, no salary uh, implications whatsoever, then uh, I, I don't think you get greedy. I think you just take it and, and run with it and figure out the rest later. But I do take issue with with Bowden suggesting that Encarnacion Strand is going to be the Mets' long-term answer at DH. Uh, the Mets have a lot of long-term answers at DH. <laughs> that, that, this, not only you know, do they have Pete Alonso, who I'm assuming is a guy they're going to try to extend and toward the back end of that deal could transition into a DH role. Not only do they have Brandon Nimmo lock, lock, locked up long-term and toward the end of his contract, I could see him being a DH, uh, but also on the younger side, they got Brett Beatty, who is not the strongest third base defender on the farm. They have Mark Vientos who is not the strongest infielder infield mm-hmm. defender. Like they have a lot of options there. Yeah, right now they don't have a guy who's like very clearly going to be locked in for the next 3 years because right now they have Daniel Vogelbach and he's certainly more of a short-term solution for them. But you know, that's DH especially is the one position that you don't really need to have someone locked in as your long-term DH like very few teams actually have that it's like Jordan Alvarez and that's about it uh Shohei otani I guess that's it's mm-hmm. kind of its own thing but yeah that I I think that's just a weird it might just be a weird throwaway line in here and and Encarnacion Strand is a bit of a breakout prospect this year and could be a trade option for the Reds since as as we've mentioned they have plenty of guys on the infield and Encarnacion Strand doesn't offer much defensive value so yeah, maybe he's a guy they move in a deal like this, but I just don't see him making that much sense for the Mets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't disagree. I don't really have anything to add to that.
0: All right. Are you ready for the one trade that's actually accepted? No way. Cardinals trade Jack Flaherty to the Diamondbacks. Mm -hmm. This type of deal would have to be for a prospect such as left-handed pitcher Nate Savino. Or maybe even just a player to be named based on how well Flaherty pitches the rest of the regular season. Huh. Uh, so Flaherty for Savino is 1.3. Excuse me. Savino is at 1.3. Flaherty's at 3.3. That's yeah. That's be, pretty fair. And yeah. especially you consider a month from now, Flaherty maybe dips a little bit further. Yeah. Um, it's it's right within the margin. Right now it's accepted. It doesn't even say it's an overpay in, in any way. So.
1: All right. Good, good job, on you Bowden.
0: I mean. <laughs> I struggle, this is a bit of an aside, I struggle to really figure out what the heck is going on with Jack Flaherty. Um, Yeah, same. I kind of thought he was just done, but then he had a couple decent starts, but he's still not
1: throwing as hard as he used
0: to, and he's still not the guy he used to be. Did he? That's a good question. Uh, He's day-to-day with hip discomfort, so yes. Oh, there you go, yeah.
1: Um, They they skipped his start. I think he was going to pitch today, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm
0: well if he's healthy ish you know if he's he's healthy enough to take the ball come deadline day um i think he's an interesting enough lower tier option for a team you know i don't think i don't think he's one of these guys that could like break out and be a stud for you down the stretch or anything but with the the lack of options on the market i think he's an interesting enough option and I think Bowden is right that the Cardinals should probably set their sights a little bit low for him because he doesn't really you know, he doesn't offer that much upside, but he also doesn't offer that much stability. So it's really just a gamble for whoever's taking on taking this guy that they're gonna trade a player for him and if they're lucky they get like twelve league average starts. (laughs) And that's if they're not lucky, they get a start and his elbow blows up, and he's done.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, (laughs) okay. So, look, all right, Jack Flaherty on paper has not been good since 2019. He's been hurt a lot, and he's been bad a lot. And if you look at his baseball savant page, it's mostly blue. His expected stats are all, you know, way below average, or depending on if you want to lower your way, way too high in terms of expected ERA and things like that. Um, so he, in other words, for four years, he's been bad and he's been hurt. And so you're not getting 2019 Jack Flaherty. I know some people still think, oh, yeah, he's an ace. He's not an ace. Um, having said that, he's he is a little bit confusing because he's pitched a little bit more this year. And he's been 15 starts. But he's accumulated one more on Fangrass version of War um, with below average numbers. Um, so he's just basically done it by volume. You know, <laughs> one war. 15 starts so pretty much what you're getting halfway through the season is more or less that uh, steam group rejection for 0.8 i think that's fair Is era in the high fours is what's expected i think that's fair so that's not an ace that's a back-end starter and uh it's pretty much what you got this year and then the question is is he going to stay healthy now he's got some issue with his hip so you're not gonna give up much for a back-end starter who's a rental who's got some injury issues done nate savino and I mean, there are teams that need that kind of a player. Yeah. You know,
0: there are teams that need, you know, every year Jordan Lyles or Kyle Gibson gets traded or something. <laughs> and and Flaherty isn't quite that because of the the concerns about his durability and whether he's actually going to be able to make those 10 starts for you down the stretch. But as far as just like league average-ish innings, there's always a need for that at the deadline. So someone, yeah. you know, if the Cardinals are out of it, somebody will trade for him. Yes, and...
1: yes. He yeah. he will get moved because he's a rental, and why not? The Cardinals are out of it, so yeah. so and somebody will pay something for it. But you know, it's a Nate Savino return. It's not, yeah, you know, not much more. Yeah. All right, last one.
0: Uh, the Mets trade Starling Marte to the Yankees, and right. he says in return the Mets could ask for center fielder Estevan Florial, who was having a breakout <laughs> season at AAA with 19 homers, 13 stolen bases, and a 1.004 OPS. Um, <laughs> Da, 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 da. Of course there are other Yankees minor <laughs> leaguers who would fit in this type of deal. I'm simply using Florial as an example of a possible return. So there's a lot here. So, okay, um, where to start? <laughs> so Marte, negative 14.5, as we said earlier with the the Otani proposal. Florial we have at 0.7 because he's kinda fallen out of it. You know, he's he's not he's no longer highly regarded as a prospect. He actually he isn't even prospect eligible um, anymore, I don't believe.
1: Um, no, no, so, no. So someone tell Jim Florio was DFA'd, put on waivers, and nobody <laughs> took him for free. Jim, nobody wants Florio. He's not a prospect. He's not an expected return. And there are
0: cases <laughs> where a guy will pass through waivers, and then you know maybe he figures something out and, and breaks out at the minor league level. But th- I don't think that's the case with Florio. He's striking out a third of the time still, and he's old for the um, level. He's been he's, there. Done yes, that a he's few old times. for the level. He's <laughs> proven he's proven. I don't yeah. want to say that he's proven he can't hit in the big leagues, but he certainly hasn't proven that he can hit in the big leagues, and that's that's a big problem. Uh, but that's not even like the most questionable part of the deal, right? I mean, obviously the way he's talking about Florial tells us that Bowden thinks Florial is better than he is, which is concerning. <laughs> um, but that side of the deal is not the problem. It's it's Marte, where yeah. he's at negative fourteen point five because. He's older and he's having a rough season and, you know, he's been, it's pretty clear when you look at his numbers that 2021 was a bit of an outlier. He had such a strong season and it kind of boosted him up a little bit, but since then he's been back to his normal self or at least 2022, you know, he missed some time, which he normally does and was back down to a three win player, which is much more in line with the rest of his career. And now that he's into his thirties, it only goes down from there. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't, I don't think he's going to be this bad the rest of the year. Right now he has an 87 WRC plus and he's been worth 0.3 fan graphs WAR. I don't think he'll be that bad. But this isn't an impact player like he used to be. This is a guy who, if all breaks well, you're getting a two to three win player, which is which is nice and and valuable. And he's a fun player to watch. And he could if he is that two to three win guy he could certainly help the yankees um but he's a two to three win guy if things break well and he's owed 20 million dollars a year yeah and so that's where that's where that negative value comes in yeah exactly
1: he'd be basically another josh donaldson trade and I, what i don't get is like i'm sorry i'm gonna pick on yankee fans for a moment again Um uh, yay we got Two years ago or what, a year and a half ago yeah we got josh Donaldson, and now oh josh Donaldson sucks he's got to be dfa get him off the team like they they're and this would be another one of those because Marte is well into his 30s and he's in decline and so all you're gonna get is the you know the downside of starting Marte. so don't get excited if you're if you if you did a, you know acquire him he's a negative value player he still has some usefulness but he's in decline so um and the yankees for some reason Have a tendency to get these guys. So I guess it's plausible from that point of view. But why? How would you do that?
0: I'll at least cut them like the tiniest bit of slack on the Donaldson thing. Because at least at the time, you know, obviously in his 30s and always has had the injury history. So it's not like you can be like, oh, just get him healthy and he'll be fine. Because he's never (laughs) been consistently healthy. But at least at the time, you know, he was still a plus defender at third base, and, and it seemed like that was something that would continue, and it kind of ha- I haven't I haven't checked his numbers this season, but at least last year when he was on the field, he was still a plus defender. And he had some savant metrics that actually looked pretty solid. His batted ball data didn't look the worst, and so I could see them talking themselves into it as a fan base, and it's not like they gave up a ton for him. Obviously, the financial consideration was the big part of that deal, but it's it was uh oh gosh, I'm blanking. What was this trade? It was Gary Sanchez and uh Gio Urshela, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are those are a couple of guys who were kind of superfluous to their roster anyway, and uh, you know, had had pretty low ceilings and, and had their warts themselves. And so I could put myself into a Yankees fan's shoes at the time of the trade and talk myself into it and about how this might be like kind of a smart like under the radar kind of thing like donaldson could bounce back not all the way we're not talking about we got an mvp here but at least be a valuable contributor you know even even his most recent season in minnesota where he was starting to age and, and dealt with his injuries he was a three-win player and, like that's that's solid um i don't think we're seeing quite the same thing with Marte though i think he might have a lower uh I'll caveat this by saying that Donaldson is hitting a lower floor right now. Mm-hmm. But he Marte, what I'm trying to say is Marte doesn't have the defense to fall back on. You know, he's just mm-hmm. kind of okay out there. He's mm-hmm. he's not a gold glove candidate. Um and so if the bat goes, then he's a corner guy with no power, little bit of speed and Decent at best defense, and that's just not something the Yankees necessarily need, especially for twenty million dollars a year. I think at that point they'd rather have Florial.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and the speed's going to fade as he gets older, right? So that's going to be less and less of an issue, and that's part of why, you know, players regress as they get older. They get, you know, they lose foot speed and they lose bat speed. So and that's what's happening with Marte, I think. And so now you'd be getting him in his thirty-five and thirty-six year seasons, which is not going to be pretty, I don't think, from the looks of things.
0: Right. So in conclusion bowden one for five good for you buddy
1: all right well <laughs> it's about right <laughs> okay got one right yeah. yeah Mm-hmm. well
0: this article will be linked in the show notes i'll also link that otani trade proposal from earlier um but yeah i think that's about all i have for today uh do you have anything else to add
1: uh no this has been fun Um, uh, just um i know i'm a broken record again but we do have a new site launching soon um You know, we're still updating the numbers on the current version of the site as best we can. Um, So we're kind of playing both the present and the future at one time. Um, But it's launching soon. Hopefully, by by the next time you hear from us on a podcast, we'll have a new one to talk about.
0: I can't wait. And I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Same. All right. That'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevaluesgmail.com at or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John.